Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is another edition of Canada's most irreverent talk show. It is Friday, March 31st. 2023 just after four o'clock eastern daylight time we've now switched to the beloved summer time zone so welcome wherever you are tuning into the show from whether it's live or on the podcast or video after the fact this is a rare friday show but i am pleased to tell you it's going to be decreasingly rare moving forward as we change around some of the scheduling here at true north and obviously we're gonna uh, not necessarily stick to the same time but we are going to do a bit of a bonus edition of the show for a while and that means that Fake News Friday is going to be a part of the Andrew Lawton show today. So we will still give you your Fake News Friday dosage, but in a bit of a different delivery system. So uh, take from that what you will. We're like the U.S. military. We decide the best delivery system for the missile we're lobbing. And in this particular case, uh, the Andrew Lawton show is the uh, most destructive option for you. A lot of stuff we're going to get to, though. Uh, my interview from the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference with former Conservative leader Candace Bergen coming up very shortly. And as it so happens, this morning, Aaron O'Toole, the former former Conservative leader, uh, announced that he would not be seeking re-election. So he's getting out of politics, at least for the time being. Uh, also going to talk later on about some dolphins in dildo, which is uh, an alliterative, uh, alliterative phrase, but not a pun, not a joke. Uh, there is a rescue attempt underway for the dildo dolphins. The dildos and dolphin? No, the dolphins and dildo. So uh, that's going to be coming up a little later. And we have musical accompaniment for the segment. So if you don't stick around because you wonder what the heck I'm talking about, at least stay for the tunes. Uh, but let's uh, start off talking about something more serious, which I believe the government has completely trivialized which is the mass, the mass Casualty Commission, which was the body investigating the uh, horrific, absolutely horrific killing spree that a denturist in Nova Scotia went on, uh, now pushing three years ago, back in 2020. And this was a commission that I think got no coverage, really, as it was undergoing its process. We got little drips and drabs, such as the details about Brenda Lucky running interference for the Liberal government. And uh, this was that story when uh, Brenda Lucky had asked the Nova Scotia RCMP to not mention that it was a an illegal gun that the killer used, because at the time, the federal liberal government was using this whole incident as justification to further ban guns. So that was one of the little takeaways we got with documents that were put before the report. But generally speaking, I'm assuming when I mentioned the Mass Casualty Commission, a lot of you were like, oh, what's that? Like, just because it got so little coverage, and I haven't spent much time talking about it on this show, so I'm part of the problem. But the report has now come out. The final report it's very 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 long i'm not gonna lie i have not read the whole thing but what i did do is go through the executive summary and look at the recommendations so what they do is they take seven volumes to tell the story of this thing how it happened what happened what went wrong they take a, a rather scathing look at police and what they see as profound police failings but then they get into this very weird terrain of social engineering and there are two aspects of this that I want to talk about a little bit. One is the firearms file. So on firearms, this looks like one of the most rabid anti-gun activists you could find in Canada was asked to write out the recommendations. They have things like prohibiting the stockpiling of ammunition. Now, 
When they say limit the stockpiling of ammunition, they're using the word stockpile because it conjures up images of someone just like hiding out in a basement bunker with 50,000 rounds of ammunition. But what they mean is limiting how much ammunition you're allowed to have. And every now and then when I see crime uh, press releases that come out from police, what'll happen is you'll see like, oh, the killer, the uh, person was arrested with 800 rounds of ammunition. And people that don't know guns have just like been shocked at that. They've been aghast at it. They have no idea. Oh my goodness, 800 rounds of ammunition. And then you like go to the average gun owner's uh, gun cabinet and you open the door and you see like, oh, 15,000 rounds of ammunition. So uh, you do it because it's like anything else. If it's on sale, you buy it. If there are different types you like, if you've got different guns that take different types of ammunition, you're going to buy lots more. So when I see a recommendation in here that the government limit the stockpiling of ammunition. I know that sort of stuff is catnip for people that don't understand firearms or they want to prey on the fact that a lot of people in this country don't know a lot about firearms. And one of the other recommendations to ban all semi-automatic firearms or rifles, uh, like rifles, handguns, or shotguns, and to do this with a couple of caveats. Well, only if they have uh, detachable magazines that take more than five rounds of ammunition or if they are center fire, so not the really small caliber 22. But they're basically saying, we think the government should prohibit almost all semi-automatic guns. Now, this was, oddly enough, the amendment that that liberal MP tried to sneak into Bill C-21. And it's funny that something eerily similar, in fact, if I looked at the text, probably almost identical, is now finding its way as a recommendation in the Mass Casualty Commission report. Nowhere did I see in my cursory scan an acknowledgement in this firearms recommendation that the prohibit the prohibition wouldn't have changed anything about this event because the guy used illegal guns that were illegally smuggled into Canada. The one gun he had that wasn't smuggled, he illegally acquired through an estate. But either way, guns that he did not legally have that did not come from the Canadian market. So why do we think that prohibiting any type of firearm would have stopped this incident or any others like it? But the problem is that this event has been used by the Liberal government as a way to justify their intent on banning firearms. That's what they want. And even if they have to be more incremental about it, their goals are very clear. They don't like gun owners. They don't like guns. They don't want the type of people who are gun owners to be able to have their property rights. So they do this. They use this event, this horrible, horrible act of evil, this tragedy, to justify their political aims. And we've already seen through the Brenda Lucky situation, the meddling in the police investigation to do that. And now we're seeing the Mass Casualty Commission report try to do the same thing, to use this as a springboard for a gun ban. But there was another weird section that I had to look at and ask who wrote this. How did this come up here? Now, let me preface this by saying I do not seek to diminish domestic violence in the least. It is a horrible thing. It is a, a tremendously dangerous thing. Uh, if you look at the statistics, you know it's a lot more commonplace than a lot of people realize. Uh, any domestic violence, gender-based or otherwise, needs to be understood and it needs to be clamped down on and people need to pay the stiffest penalties imaginable if they go down that road. But I don't look at the Nova Scotia killing spree 
and see this as being a domestic violence issue. Obviously, the guy, if you can read all the stuff you want about it, has had that in his life. And you may be able to look at this and say that gender-based violence is a precursor for other things or domestic violence, as I'm used to calling it. But it's amazing how prominently that features in this report. And some of the recommendations that I, I want to pluck out of this here are a little bit weird, quite frankly. One of them is to call gender-based violence an epidemic. They say it's an epidemic in Nova Scotia and all of Canada and in most parts of the world. The United Nations has been calling it a global pandemic. Violence against women and girls is also endemic in Canada and in all societies. So ergo, the government needs to call it, declare it an endemic and take a public health approach. So they want the health units that did such a bang up job getting us through COVID to take the front lines, uh, to take the front seat on ending domestic violence, which is a little bit of an odd thing. So I, if anyone believes labeling is going to stop this, you are sorely, sorely mistaken. But then we get to the even weirder part. And I want to quote directly here from the recommendation, because they say that it needs to be a government priority to cultivate healthy masculinities. They say government needs to support Healthy masculinity. Healthy masculinity appears in the report 11 times, at least in the executive summary 11 times. It appears later on. And there's a whole chapter dedicated to cultivating healthy masculinities. And they say promoting healthier masculinities is an important strategy for improving community safety and well-being in two ways. It prevents gender-based violence and it improves male health and well-being. Now, this is the inverse of toxic masculinity. So when they say promote healthy masculinities, what they're saying is we need to uh, get rid of toxic masculinity, which is the stuff that in the Gillette commercials they're always preaching at men about. And it's become the flavor of the day to go after toxic masculinity. They don't like men that are really buff and masculine and uber strong. And uh, we also are seeing time and time again more examples of very woke companies, very woke companies that start to say we need to dismantle toxic masculinity in all its forms. So it's a little bit trivializing to take the Mass Casualty Commission's report on this, on a horrific event that killed men and women, and to say that we need to hold this up as a gender-based violence incident. And we need to extrapolate from this all of these things that we want to change in society to deal with gender-based violence, which is a real thing, and it's a problem. And it's a problem warranting solutions. But it makes it look like this entire commission report is trying to just become this weird buffet from which people can draw whatever issues they want. Oh, you want firearm stuff? Oh, you want, uh, want gender-based violence stuff? Yeah, we'll take a little bit of that. You want police reform? Great, we'll take a little bit of that. And, and obviously, complex situations require complex solutions, but this doesn't look like it's a solution to any genuine problem. Because, not a genuine problem, but a solution to any problem that was at the root of this. There is not a single recommendation I have seen in this that would have stopped this killer from doing what he did, except for maybe if you go way back. And I, I did not see anything to do with uh, borders, really. They talk in a few senses about the need to streamline communications between the Canadian Border Services Agency and police, but they aren't talking about really what we need to deal with here, which is firearm smuggling. So all of this is to say 
that genuinely looking for answers here, looking for solutions here, and thinking that you're going to find those by combating toxic masculinity, by the government running PSAs about healthy masculinity, by public health agencies saying that we're going to declare violence against women or gender-based violence to be an endemic. None of these things are going to stop this event. None of these things are going to stop these killers. And it's funny, I wrote a column many years ago after a mass shooting in the U.S., in which I had said there's no antidote to evil. That was the, the takeaway of it. And I, I, I actually regret it a little bit because as a Christian, I believe that there is an antidote to evil and I believe God is the antidote to evil. And I was talking about it in a political context at the time though. There's no political remedy to evil. And what happens anytime these horrific events take place, we all want to believe that they were preventable. We want to believe there was something we could have done, something we uh, needed to have done, and something that would have made a tangible difference. Because saying, pardon the language, I won't use the language because then we get like the weird uh, flag on iTunes or whatever, but, but saying that poop happens is not a satisfactory response to horrible things. To look at something evil and say, well, that sucks but that's life. No one is satisfied with that, nor should they be. So I'm struggling here to come up with an answer to what could have stopped this guy. And I don't have one. And I don't come to you today because I have the answers figured out and the Mass Casualty Commission doesn't. I do it because I despise this trend we now see where people just latch on to whatever tragedy of the day has taken place and use it as a springboard for whatever they think society needed, irrespective of the tragedy. If you believe that society needs fewer guns and you believe that we need more gun control, you're going to look at anything that remotely involves firearms and find justification to ban guns. The Liberal government did not give one iota of crap about those victims in Nova Scotia, they saw this as an opportunity to justify a gun ban. So they almost overnight put in the handgun freeze. Again, didn't matter, didn't have anything to do with anything. Or the, uh, the not the handgun ban, but the uh, order in council. They didn't care. They didn't care. They, they just wanted to do that. They saw their window. They went ahead with it. And when the facts of the case actually worked against them, they just had that little pipeline of information from Bill Blair to Brenda Lucky down to the Nova Scotia RCMP that went against that. So then we look at the other side of it. You know, violence against women is a huge issue. You've got activist groups that want to make a difference on that. You've got women's shelters that want to make a difference at it. You know they were all contributing volumes and volumes of information. And again, I am not diminishing this. I'm saying that you cannot break this down to a failing of toxic masculinity and say that if the government gets up there and Justin Trudeau promotes healthy masculinity and uh, Theresa Tam gets up there and says we need more healthy masculinity, that that is going to do anything. And, and it takes this concept that has now become this joke because a lot of the people that say they reject toxic masculinity actually just reject masculinity in general. So what on earth is healthy masculinity? That, that's to say that uh, masculinity needs that qualifier, that masculinity needs to be uh, labeled healthy, otherwise it is unhealthy. That's the implication if you really want to go down and parse the language here. So I don't come with the answers, but I am coming with a warning that we have to stop letting people politicize these tragedies because they will keep doing it over and over and over again. 
We'll have perhaps more on this as I've had a chance to read other parts of the report. But uh, when I initially skim skimmed through and I saw both the firearm stuff and then the, the masculinity stuff, I said, okay, I have to at least talk about that today. I want to shift gears here. You may remember last week I was at the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference in Ottawa, and I sat down with a number of the movers and shakers of Canada's conservative movement, including the former leader of the conservatives. She served as leader on an interim basis after Aaron tool was ousted before Pierre Polyev was elected leader and that is Candace Bergen who's now uh, taken a backseat to politics as well like Aaron O'Toole announced he'd be doing and, and she is I believe I saw I don't follow Manitoba politics too closely but I believe I saw this morning that Candace Bergen is now the co-chair of the Manitoba PC uh, campaign so uh, power to them I guess but uh, this was my sit down with former interim conservative leader Candace Bergen. Joining me here at the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference is former Conservative leader Candace Bergen. Obviously, uh, Candace, you had to uh, be the interim leader during the leadership race. So you yes. saw yourself being replaced in real time, uh, and yes. now you've you've left politics. So, what's your? Why are you still here? Why are you still immersing yourself in this world well, when you don't need I, to? Uh, it's funny, Andrew, because when I I let Pierre, our, our leader, know that I was going to be stepping down, I said, "But you know, Pierre, I got into politics as a volunteer." And I want to go back to being a volunteer because I still love politics and I still believe strongly in what a conservative party does and what we need to do for the country. So I said, I'm going to be retiring my official role as a member of parliament. But I said to Pierre and my caucus, I still want to help. So, no, this is still very important to me. Um, I, I like obviously meeting uh, fellow conservatives. It was great to see Stephen Harper yes. and hear Stephen and Preston last night. And this is important. It's, a, it's important that we come together. Uh, our Conservative Party and our movement is made up of coalitions of uh, different groups of people. And I've, I'm a big believer in we need to be able to disagree and still be united. And I'll tell you, more than ever, we need to be a united Conservative movement. So even though I'm retired uh, officially, I'm still, uh, I care very much about the country and I'm still a Conservative. I know a lot of people here made a big deal about Stephen Harper speaking. Joining me here at the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference is former Conservative leader Candace Bergen. Obviously, uh, Candace, you had to uh, be the interim leader during the leadership race. So you yes. saw yourself being replaced in real time. Uh, and yes. now you've, you've left politics. So what's your, why are you still here? Why are you still immersing yourself in this world well, when you don't need I, to? Uh, it's funny, Andrew, because when I, I let Pierre, our, our leader, know that I was going to be stepping down, I said, but you know, Pierre, I got into politics as a volunteer. And I want to go back to being a volunteer because I still love politics and I still believe strongly in what a conservative party does and what we need to do for the country. So I said, I'm going to be retiring my official role as a member of parliament. But I said to Pierre and my caucus, I still want to help. So, no, this is still very important to me. Um, I, I like obviously meeting uh, fellow conservatives. It was great to see Stephen Harper yes. and hear Stephen and Preston last night. And this is important. It's, a, it's important that we come together. Uh, our Conservative Party and our movement is made up of coalitions of uh, different groups of people. And I've, I'm a big believer in we need to be able to disagree and still be united. And I'll tell you, more than ever, we need to be a united Conservative movement. So even though I'm retired uh, officially, I'm still, uh, I care very much about the country and I'm still a Conservative. I know a lot of people here made a big deal about Stephen Harper speaking because he has kept something of a low profile at, in Canadian politics since he left office. But I, I know from talking to you and, and other member, members of parliament that I know 
uh, he has never disappeared. He's always been giving advice and, and talking yes. behind the scenes. So he he's still maintained a very involved role. And I'm, I'm curious what you think of his idea that he put forward in his remarks that we're witnessing a, a conservative renaissance right now, to use his words. Well, I, I always find it hard to believe that we just don't always have a conservative renaissance <laughs> going on because I just think any any common sense person would agree with conservative policy, yeah. you know, should if we did the, 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 the good job and, and the best job of communicating them. Uh, so, yes, I mean, I think that every government has a, a, a lifespan. And so we're seeing the end of this liberal government's uh, lifespan come to an end. So I think there's part of that. Uh, is there a re renaissance? I, I hope he's right. I do worry that in Preston alluded to this yesterday, even policy around balancing the budget, that seems to not be almost old school. A lot of people, mm -hmm. not to me, it's not to me, but to a lot of people, there are certain ideas that I would consider to be a good conservative policy that are rare. And so yeah. I hope he's right. Um, I do worry the way young people are, are being um, raised and what they're taught at school, the, our universities, you know, the, the bastion for liberal ideas. There really is very little opportunity for young people to hear of conservative policy. So unless it's sort of intuitively in them or if their, their parents are raising them, you know, you need to be responsible for yourself. You need to make sure your finances are managed properly, less government, individual responsibility. Unless they're raised with that kind of as part of who they are, I, I, you know, I, I think it's very, um, it's going to be very difficult, but I'm, I yeah. hope he's right. Just lastly, what do you think the, the non-negotiables are? Because obviously conservative politics and politics changes over time. What do you think the core values that should never change about the conservative movement are? You know, when I was leader, I talked about fiscal, the kind of the four pillars, fiscal responsibility, law and order, national unity, freedom of expression and belief. Those are sort of the four core things that make us all conservative. And I think any other issue, any other policy, uh, can be woven into that, and there can be, um, you know, all kinds of interesting things that come out of other types of policy and beliefs. But I think those are four core um, foundations of who we are as conservatives. And last year, I just remembered you had to skip it because you had COVID. You were going to be coming in person. I did. And then had to send a video. And so I, do you like video, being in person now? I do. I do. I was <laughs> thinking about that. I was wondering. I thought, I wonder what it was like last year. Because, yeah. yes, I did my speech, and I was, like, just feeling like, oh, no, I'm not feeling good. And I... <laughs> I tested positive for yeah. COVID, but well, good, only good once, only got it once and I, <laughs> I survived. All right. Well, that's what matters. Uh, Candace Bergen, <laughs> former conservative leader, thanks for your service in, in politics over the years. And thanks for sitting down today. Great to chat with you. Likewise. That was Candace Bergen, the former conservative leader and now uh, retreating to private life here. But I do thank her very much for uh, sitting down. A lot of other former politicians just like don't care to talk anymore because they uh, don't need to win your votes or curry favor or anything. So I was glad she sat down and we have some more of the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference interviews coming next week. We have a couple left. We didn't want to just like bombard you all in one show with like every interview. So we've uh, sprinkled them out a little bit. And I think we have speaking of the firearms issue, Tracy Wilson, uh, in the Hopper for next show. She is the uh, VP of the Can uh, Canadian uh, Coalition for Firearms Rights. No, I'm getting that right. Yeah, no, the Can 
CCFR. I'm just I'm blanking on the I blank on acronyms all the time because I just call them the the CCFR. But uh, in general, uh, we're going to be talking about firearms, not related to the Nova Scotia shooting. But I do want to talk a little bit about Aaron O'Toole stepping down here because he was a guy who. I actually have always liked, and I, I've always gotten along with him when he ran for leader of the Conservatives in 2017. I uh, had you know great interviews with him, and he did well enough in the debates, but he was never one of the front runners. And uh, then when 2020 came around, and there was an opening yet again. I know everyone in the establishment thought that it was going to be Peter McKay just you know, on a cakewalk. I think everyone looked and saw, you know what, Aaron O'Toole is probably going to be the winner here because they didn't have a huge number of candidates, and he was the guy that was appealing to the supporters of Leslin Lewis and Derek Sloan more than Peter McKay was, and it's a ranked ballot. And he ran as Mr. True Blue Conservative, and then when he became the conservative leader was neither true nor blue nor conservative. So it was difficult to see how he thought he would hold on in the leadership role when that was the pivot, when he abandoned some of the core things that he campaigned on in the leadership. And I don't mean softening. I just mean like completely rolling on. So he was unpopular. There were some caucus management issues. When the Freedom Convoy came, it was just complete game over. Checkmate, no way around it. When your party and your party's members and your party's caucus members are supporting these trucks heading to Ottawa and you can't say one way or another uh, whether you'll meet with them, whether you support them, agree with them. And that was that. Now, I, I don't like defining people's career based on their worst moments. I think Aaron O'Toole did a very good job in the Veterans Affairs portfolio. I think that Aaron O'Toole has a solid head on his shoulders. I think he's a smart guy and he served his country in the military. I know uh, some people in the, on the left tried to make fun of him for bringing it up, but he did it and he deserves credit for that. So uh, I don't uh, take this good riddance approach to Aaron O'Toole. I say that he was the wrong choice for conservative leader, even if he was the best choice of the options between him and Peter McKay. And I, I thank him for for his service and that is that and I, I don't wish any ill will uh despite how frustrated i was uh, during his leadership with how that manifested but I, I do think that the 2021 2021 election is still a bit of a test case in authenticity and it's something that i hope pierre polyev notes and future conservative politicians as well in this country it is friday and I know we talked about some very heavy stuff on the show, but I, I kind of want to make it a bit of a resolution to not just totally depress you before I send you out into the weekend. I feel that's the bare minimum I could do. So we had a couple of just lighter stories, uh, but we also want to bring Fake News Friday into the Andrew Lawton Show fold today and take it away. That was a fun seven seconds, wasn't it? Uh, the uh, Fake News Friday segment for this show is uh, one that I think reinforces an age-old concept in Canadian politics that all roads lead to Justin Trudeau's socks. You may have seen this photo from Joe Biden's visit to Ottawa of Xavier Trudeau, who is like the really, really tall son in the Trudeau family. I think he's uh, taller than Justin Trudeau, or at least getting there. Uh, the whole Trudeau clan is hanging out. Uh, you can tell it's a real Joe Biden image because Joe Biden is uh, holding a child for inexplicable reasons. That's how you know it's not an imposter. It's the real Joe Biden. And the, the one thing that people focused on in this photo was Xavier's socks. Now, normally, Justin Trudeau 
is the one whose socks attract the most attention. Now, he was probably very upset that his son was uh, usurping him on the sock front, but uh, they're indoors, and this was like a very weird Twitter fight that then emerged where you had people saying that he should be wearing shoes and then other people said, well, actually, no, everyone else should have taken their shoes off. Uh, Joe Biden, it's not advisable to take your shoes off because you, you'll never find them again, probably. Uh, but uh, I don't actually have a dog in the sock fight. I think there are apparently sock houses and shoe houses. I have never gotten the whole was it Mr. Rogers who would go inside and then change the shoes for the other shoes? Like, I, I, that just seems like a lot of work. I don't know if slippers count as shoes, but I, I'm okay being in sock feet in my own home. And if the president were over, I don't know what I would do, come to think of it. I would probably just do whatever he did. So uh, that's one way of doing it. But the media sees news here. People can't tweet about something without it being news. Uh, Yahoo, photo of PM Trudeau's sock sparks hilarious... No, not his sock, sparks... I can't even read. Photo of PM Trudeau's son sparks hilarious debate after Biden's visit to Rito Cottage. Yeah, so uh, you can decide in the comments whether you are on team uh, Xavier with no shoes, uh, team everyone else with shoes, or on team Andrew Lawton. Why did you waste our time with this story about socks in the Trudeau household? And you know what? The more I talk about it, I'm increasingly on uh, team three as well. So uh, we'll move on from this. Uh, here's a, a bit of a fun story, though, for the weekend. Uh, a rescue... Well, let me refresh, actually, because maybe the story has updated. No, it sounds like the rescue is still underway. So a rescue is underway for a pod of dolphins that have been stranded by ice in Dildo Cove. I'm playing this straight. I am making no jokes. The rescue is underway for a pod of dolphins stranded by ice in uh, Dildo Cove. And I, I'm doing this on porpoise. No, nothing. All right. I need a studio audience to know if the jokes land. Uh, but a pod of hapless white beaked dolphins, CBC says, has been stranded by sea ice in the shallow harbor outside Dildo, Newfoundland. They could be seen swimming in circles near worried onlookers. Uh, they Thank you, Sean. Sean messaged me and said that was a good one. So I'm good. But Team Porpoise, yes, there was a porpoise to the joke. Uh, people had said they haven't seen stranded dolphins in Dildo Cove for decades. Uh, they, they did see a dolphin with a dildo once, but not a stranded dolphin in Dildo Cove. And that was a, a regrettable moment that they don't talk about. It was on a Friday, I believe. Uh, but there were, uh, of the dolphins, they had pulled three of the ten out and were uh, trying to get seven of the remaining dildos out of Dolphin Cove, uh, but failed to... Wait... Did I get that? Anyway. Uh, so this is just all a lengthy way of saying I learned of this song recently that I had to share with you uh, before we close things out here. It is a song that was made by Uncle John, who hails from Dildo Newfoundland, uh, and it suggests the people there might actually be a little in on the joke. I saw my friend standing there, this question he asked me. He says, I have the paper here. I said, I think I know. You're going around from house to house to change the name, Dildo. I said, now, friend, I will not sign to change this precious name. I hope that every person here, they will feel the same. For God will travel with us wherever we may go. He will never laugh or joke about the name Dildo. He stands for our dignity, 
never change And I stands for the innocent child Who should never be ashamed L is for liberty D for days of old While all spells out the loving words That we all call how can you how can you not bop along to the dildo song? That is a, a great little track. I had never heard of Uncle John before I learned that song. I believe uh, the dildo song might be Uncle John's only hit. Uh, and I did not know that Dildo Newfoundland had a Hollywood sign for Dildo. So maybe we'll have to do the next uh, Andrew Lawton Show live edition, uh, live from uh, Dildo, and we can uh, interview some of those stranded dolphins that were making the news. That is it for this week. We hope you all have a great weekend, and we will be back next week with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.